Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. Today in the studio. Hello there, this is Sir Ken Robinson, and I've spent the last three days reading my new book, You, Your Child and School. I've worked in education for a long time, and I've written quite a few books addressed to people as individuals and also to educators, but I've also had lots of conversation with parents. I am a parent and I'm constantly being asked by parents about what's going on in education and what the right thing is to do for their children. You know, with the pressure of testing and standardization, the way the world labor markets are moving, the problems of student debt and so on, and the increasing pressure that kids feel under, you know, a lot of parents feel very perplexed about the options and what the right thing to do is. So I thought I should try and set down as clearly as I could my understanding of what's happening in education and what the options are that parents face. I think a lot of parents feel powerless when it comes to education, and I want to show them they have more power than they imagine as long as they understand what their options are. And I say in the book that this isn't meant to be a book about how to be a good parent. You know, I wouldn't have the nerve, frankly. But it is about what parents can do in education. Education is a system that's changing and a system that does have to change. There are global shifts happening here that we need to be aware of, but also changes within the system that parents should know about and, and can encourage. The tone of the book, I hope, is as a compatriot in this particular struggle rather than somebody who's trying to pontificate about it from a different place. I have narrated three of my own books previously. I like doing it, you know, because in writing it, I try to be consistent with my own voice. I'm asked often to stand up and talk about this stuff in front of groups of people. And you develop a cadence and a rhythm over time if you're trying to explain yourself in public to a live audience. And I think it's important to try and keep that alive when you come to write the book and not to go into some alternative official or false register. So I feel a particular need to read the books myself since I've written them in what I think is my own voice. Inevitably, when you've been writing a book and you get immersed in it and trying to convey the ideas in writing, you often end up using words and phrases that wouldn't naturally come to you if you were speaking it. And the consequence is that even though I enjoy narrating the book, I sometimes come up against a phrase or a, a section of the book and you trip over and you think, why on earth did I write that? You know, had I lost my mind? Because trying to say it, having written it down, is sometimes very difficult. So you end up sometimes with these complicated paragraphs with several subclauses. And in the middle of it, some technical term that you'd forgotten you'd used, which trips you right up. I remember years ago, the first book I narrated, uh, there was a rather long paragraph. And at the time, the technology required that you read the whole paragraph. You couldn't just read a bit of it in the way we can now. But the final word in it was a, a term from sociology, which is de-individuation. Now, I just said that effortlessly. Could I say it at the time? Absolutely not. Took me about 40 minutes. In the end, I was walking around having cups of coffee. People were calming me down. We were sending out additional tape, new digital equipment. So we could try and accommodate my various attempts. Because what happens is, you know, when you come to these words, you suddenly stumble over them and it becomes a thing then. When we're doing this book today, one of the words that I've used often is advocacy. See, I just said it. No problem. Could I say it an hour ago? Absolutely not. I'm excited about this. What I've tried to do in narrating it, and it's wonderful to have had such a great director with me, is to speak as if I were speaking to somebody across the table. I think that's the best thing to do. You don't want to read a book as if you're reading the news. I had one book that I did a while ago that somebody else read, and it did rather come across 
like an urgent bulletin from CNN. As I was reading it, I tried to imagine somebody sitting in a car with this playing through the speakers, and you think, well, you know, what tone of voice would appeal to me if I were having it read to me? And I think listening to an audio book is a rather intimate experience. It's like having a conversation with somebody just one-on-one. And so, you know, getting the tone right and making it personal, I think, is very important. If I hadn't been able to do it, who would I get to do it? You know, I think it would have to be somebody who has a similar set of cadences. I say that because, you know, I live in America, but I am from England. And, you know, there are odd terms that you come across. You know, we've had that whole, I say tomato, you say tomato. So I guess probably some English actor. You know, I often get told I look like Kenneth Branagh. I'm rather pleased about that. I hope he is. You know, or failing that, I think Morgan Freeman's very good at evoking these sorts of things. He's always being presented as God, isn't he? So, you know, maybe you'd find something magisterial in what I've written. When I was at school myself, I used to go to the local library in Widnes, which is near Liverpool. And I spent hours there wandering around. I mean, I've always been fascinated by libraries anyway, and librarians. It interests me that people have long thought that digital culture would be the end of libraries. Of course, it's been nothing of the sort. Libraries now are reviving in all kinds of fascinating ways. They are becoming real cultural centers. You know, it's no longer a place where you go and you're told to be quiet. When I was a student, I used to go and borrow records. This seems like a long time ago. Well, it was. It was in the 1960s. They had a big spoken word library, and I used to borrow records from the library and take them home and put them on the record player. I used to get the works of Shakespeare, Dylan Thomas, and other great poets. The thing about it was, of course, that vinyl records are very fragile. So you know, when you took the record out from the library, before you took it out, they took the record from the sleeve, and inside there was an album-sized piece of paper on which they carefully marked in a pencil the lines of any scratches that were already on the record. And if you brought it back and there were further scratches, then you would be fined correspondingly for it. It encouraged in me a level of care and exactitude in playing vinyl records that I would never have had otherwise if I weren't being charged by the scratch. But I do remember listening to King Lear on Parlophone. Parlophone, for those of you who don't remember this or don't know it, was a specialist record label that dealt with the spoken word, as in Parlophone. It was Parlophone that eventually became the label for the Beatles. All the other music labels rejected them. Parlophone specialised in the spoken word and also in comedy and what were seen as kind of gimmicky records. But they had this producer there called George Martin, which turned out to be very fortuitous because he produced all the Beatles' records. One of their best records, I always thought, was I Am The Walrus. And if you know the record, at the end of it, there's a whole section from King Lear. As the record closes, there's a sequence from the heath where Edward is strewn across the heather. Took a long time to realise what it was, but I remember it clearly because I once borrowed the record and scratched it. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening.